Deep in the farthest recesses of the most distant jungle lies a city. A city populated by the most mysterious, terrifying, and downright grotesque denizens ever seen by mortal eye. Here, in the darkened corners of this cavernous locale, sits an ordinary, average brick building with an innocuous, ordinary, average, blinking neon sign which reads, On Air. It is here where each week, Seth Breedlove and Mark Matsky convene to discuss the greatest mysteries the world has ever known. Now, strap on your hiking boots, grab your trusty walking stick, and don't forget the bug spray as we begin our journey through Monsteropolis. This is Monsteropolis, a show about anomalies, legends, and monsters. I'm one of your hosts. My name is Seth Breedlove. I'm joined, as always, by my pal, Mark Matsky. Hello there. Greetings. Greetings. Uh, don't don't be alarmed if this thing decides it has filled the memory card while Uh-oh. we're talking. Okay. It looks like we're running out of time on here, but I don't know. It says we have 38 plus hours, but oh, okay. But we've had that happen. I'm before. running out of memory as well. Okay. So. Yeah. <laughs> Um, well, we're getting old. Uh, I turn 39 next Saturday. Oh, yeah. next Saturday. I'll be in New York. Uh, we're going up to Peter's place. Are you really? Yeah, we're going to go stay at Peter's place. Oh, this, cool. this is normally like the time of year we would go. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, we're going, we're taking the dogs, taking Aaron and his wife, Nicole, taking my cousin, Jenny and Tommy. Cool. Yeah. It's going to be, going to be wild. Um, Okay, so this episode is all about. Uh, oh, do we have letters? This episode's about the Mothman, the Mothman, the Mothman, uh, and we're doing this because this is Mothman Month here on <laughs> yeah. Monsteropolis. Uh, Mothman Legacy uh, comes to streaming and DVD and Blu-ray on October twentieth, which is, I believe, a Tuesday. Uh, if you're in West Virginia, we should have said this on the last episode. I guess I still can add an addendum. Um, if you're in West Virginia, we're doing a signing at the Mothman Museum on Saturday, October 17th, I want to say it is, uh, from 11 a.m. until 5 p.m. I'm not sure yet who all is coming. I haven't even talked to Mark about it. Uh, it's a Saturday, so I'm assuming no. Uh, correct. He's, he's, he's shaking his head that I am correct. Um, we So it's going to be at least me... Uh, myself, Seth Breedlove, uh, Aaron Gaskin, uh, Zach Palmasano, potentially Jason Udis, potentially Adrian Breedlove. So it's an outdoor event as long as weather is permitting. We're planning on setting up a tent outside too. So if you're concerned about COVID protocols, uh, the plan is to actually be set up right outside of the museum um, rather than inside the museum. But the museum is there. They've been very conscious of this from the beginning. So they're, they've gone to great lengths to keep everything socially distanced and all that stuff. So anyway, uh, yeah, Saturday the 17th, come hang out with us. We're going to be selling the movie, even though it's a couple days early. Um, this is randomly attached to that, but I saw a lot of people on social media who I think kept their reservations in Point Pleasant, even though there wasn't a Mothman festival this year. Mm -hmm. And they just went. I thought that was really interesting. Mm-hmm. I don't. I, I don't have much more to say about it than that. But it just was kind of cool to see photos of the statue and people at the museum and stuff. Even though 
there was no festival this year. I think we we wanted to <clears throat> go ahead with the the premiere and all that stuff, but it just it, it wasn't going to work out because 1091 really did not want us selling the movie ahead mm. of time. Um, <clears throat> for those listening to the show, my allergies have just kicked off. Um, for those uh, interested, yesterday the official final, I guess, trailer for the Mothman Legacy dropped uh, on some social media and some media should be making its way out into the public's eye over the next couple of weeks. I'm going to drink this water. Um, so we're going to talk about Mothman. We put out a call for questions on the official small town monsters community group page on Facebook, which by the way, I guess if I don't know that we've ever even talked about it on the show, but, um, we have the official like business page for SDM, which is fine. And then we have the group page, which is where I think there's a lot of interaction happening and we're, I think we've crawled over 10,000 people in there now. So it's just continues to grow. Um, there's a lot of people that are involved in this group. So we put out a call for questions and we got almost 20, 20 questions. So I don't know that we're going to make it through them all, but we're going to give it a shot. Um, how do we want to do this? You want me to read them and then sure. Okay. Yeah. First question, Joe Turry do you think the Mothman is a physical being or more of the supernatural realm? Um, <clears throat> someone, multiple people chimed in after that. If from the supernatural realm, could it be one of the fallen angels cast from heaven? Uh, that was David Otto, Ron Lanham, multi extra ultra dimensional, whatever it is. It's apparently not able to exist long in this reality. Um, that's so Mark, you know it's real. So, <laughs> so what do you uh, what do you believe the Mothman is? Well, I my own conception of Mothman has always been a physical creature, in part because of the the eyewitness accounts all seem to be something that shuffles or stands on people's porches, or flies, obviously, and there's nothing about the sightings that I'm aware of that make it seem like it's uh, like yeah, transparent or or even flying through a portal or anything of that nature. So I've always just my own uh, impression of it has been that there's a physical dimension to the the thing. Like if you you know if you hit it with a car, it would fall over or that type of thing. Um, and just depending on the <laughs> Yeah. That's my that's my plan, by yeah. the way. It's my I've heard you go down there stuff. and roar around the back roads by the TT. <laughs> my fifty seven Chevy. And just gun it. Yeah. You and Andy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's actually driving. I'm pointing him out. Yeah, that makes a lot more sense, actually. Yeah. But yeah, I don't know. I guess that's which seems odd because I think Mothman people interpret that usually skews towards the supernatural, but mm. I've always thought of it more in, in as a physical entity. Now people can always say, you know, there's, there's figures that can come into our reality and they are physical. They leave trace elements that they were here, but then can go back to some sort of spiritual realm. And I, I would never say that's impossible, but when, when the thing is here, it seems like it would be, it'd have to obey some physical laws okay here's a question that just came to me so the next there was a follow-up to that about fallen angels mm -hmm. 
Um, which is interesting because people are trying to kind of say that about the Bell Witch too. Sure. Um, is there a physical dimension to a fallen angel, biblically speaking? Yeah. Well, there are cases. You can only, as far as Scripture is concerned, you can only go off of cases in the Bible. There's no chapter or verse that says, here are all the properties of angels. Mm-hmm. You know, So you have to develop a picture throughout the Bible of what qualities an angel would have. And certainly, in some cases, there are um, definitely physical elements. And in other words, quote-unquote good angels can certainly appear in your physical reality and eat a meal with you, for example, and sit down and do things that you would you chalk up to the physical realm. Then where did they go after that? Well, you know, wherever you ascribe heaven or other realms to be. So I think it's quite possible from a biblical worldview to talk about things that don't typically inhabit our reality, but that can come into it and live in it in a physical way. And and angels certainly do that. The other thing with angels, though, is that from a biblical standpoint, again, building your case on the stories that the Bible tells about angels, they're typically involved in one of two things. One is um, spiritual warfare with good versus evil, essentially, and the other is to deliver a message. And typically when they deliver a message, it's quite clear. There's nothing obscure about the message that they're delivering. It's very on the nose. Mm -hmm. Like in the example of Mary, you know, you're going to have a child. Yeah, There's not... So it's not like people are seeing the uh, uh, angel flying around near a bridge that happens to fall after 13 yeah, months or whatever. Right. I think that, just, I, just again, from sure, a biblical sure. yeah, standpoint, yeah, yeah. that would be a stretch. Okay. Given what picture is developed there. So I, I'm like my personal opinion on this has always been there's so many things at play. We have no idea. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not sitting on the fence I I because I do think that there is something here there's something there's some reality to the mothman but which aspect of the mothman i don't know um but you're talking the thing that's always bugged me about them or maybe not bothered me but there's the thing the thing that stands out about the mothman is the descriptions of what people are seeing just don't align they there there are a few cases that sort of you know some physical attributes ring you know, like, like previous accounts or whatever, but you've got everything from witnesses describing feathers to bat like skin to, to uh, a man with wings in their room, or, you know, like all these different things, um, you know, you know, like in, and add to that some of the accounts of things that people aren't even saying is Mothman, but you're talking about a flying creature in an area where, where we're connecting with Mothman. So then you've got, Thunderbird sightings, which is what Tom Yuri thinks he had a sighting of. Um, you've got large owl sightings. You've got things like Les Odell waking up in the middle of the night and seeing this four foot tall creature in his room. He doesn't connect that to the Mothman, but it's taking place in an area known for winged mm-hmm. creatures who sort of foretell disaster yeah. or tragedy. Yeah. And he lost his dad shortly after he saw it. Um, so that's always stood out as well we're i think where you're dealing with so many so many different 
things, and I'm not necessarily saying phenomena because we, I don't know. I do, I just don't know how much of this can is truly unexplained. I think there's a ton of misidentifications that take place um, when it comes to Mothman. You know, especially when you're talking about people driving in their car late at night and seeing something in the sky overhead or mm-hmm. something. You know, things like that. Um, I do think I don't um, subscribe to the big hoot theory but at the same time i love the idea oh, that there's man. like an eight foot i mean it's i don't love it it's terrifying but like a seven <laughs> yeah. foot tall owl flying around it, appalachia is, right. is pretty horrifying it is it is because owls are mean oh man they're yeah. mean. <laughs> they would eat you up and spit you out as yeah. one of those pellets yeah but yeah i think that might be an avenue of of inquiry that is underdeveloped mm. with the whole idea that it's maybe it's a menagerie of winged creatures. You know, we, we like prosaic explanations. It's one thing, but maybe it's not. I mean, maybe it's just a variety of existent. I I think Mothman legacy is hinting at that visually. I don't think it really is brought up uh, verbally, but that's a, originally when we talked about making Mothman legacy, it was supposed to be terror in the skies in Appalachia. Mm -hmm. It's not, it ended up being very much set on that, like Mothman course. But, but if we do another sequel, that's probably the way I'm going. Mm -hmm. Um, Okay. So uh, hopefully that answered your question. I feel like I walked around your question, but that's okay. Uh, Robert Solomon asked, what role do the men in black play in the Mothman incident? Um, what role do the men in black play in the Mothman incident? What do you think about what that? What do I think? Yeah. Well, I mean, in the Mothman prophecies book, there it's an integral part. I mean, that's how the book begins, is Keel spends a, a whole chapter describing a men in black interaction uh, with a West Virginian home. And then he does he plays a little trick with the reader spoilers if you haven't read the book but he says i was the men and i was the man in black because i just showed up on somebody's doorstep because my car caught a flat so i needed to get help Mm -hmm. and i you know he does that for somewhat obvious reasons to talk about perception and people from one culture you know so to speak being out of place in another culture but, but he was dressed in black that night, and then he goes on to say throughout the book that then that, that type of thing happened to him, not necessarily with uh, a man in black himself, but um, receiving the phone calls that he did and sort of the harassment. Mary Heyer, I believe, reported mm-hmm. being approached by strangers. In, in her office. In her know? office, yeah. right. So there does seem to be, I, I, you can't really tell the full story of Mothman without referencing the men in black. Now, what, why were they there? What were they doing is anyone's guess Um, questions. And I think the other part to that too, sometimes gets lost in the shuffle is that the, the men in black may have been there more because of the UFO sightings than Mm -hmm. because of the Mothman per se. So that there's a, a connection there that is, is also worth exploring and, I think that's that's too when we talk about Mothman and especially the, the stuff that Keel writes about. I mean, he spends just as much time in the book talking about UFOs as he does the red-eyed flying guy. Well, we get... 
Uh, that's the name of the third Mothman. Sweet. The you heard it here guy. first. Um, the, there's so much UFO activity going on around West Virginia at that time that there were, there were, there was a UFO desk at the Charleston <laughs> newspaper and it was receiving calls hourly, uh, for a couple of years. Um, those UFO waves in West Virginia lasted from the fifties into the seventies. And I mean, I'm sure that there's probably maybe not as much activity, but there's a lot of activity still taking place there today. Um, it's one of the reasons people have asked why we didn't spend more time on the UFOs in the Mothman and Point Pleasant, but how, what, what are you going to pick to get into? Because it's, it didn't start in 66 and end in 67, like the Mothman story at that time did. It's just, it was something that was going on long before the Mothman and was still going on when Mothman went away. There's reports the day after the bridge collapsed on the Ohio River of people seeing, I think that's in Keel's book about the UFOs come mm-hmm. down the Ohio River. Yeah. Um, so I don't, it's one of the things about West Virginia I love is yeah. that you've got such so much varied phenomena spread over the entire state. Mm-hmm. Um, that's why I'm making another movie there. Exactly, I mean, we can't yeah. stay out of the state, apparently. <laughs> yeah, uh, I love those passages of the book where it's like Keel and Hire go out with flashlights. Mm-hmm. And they're trying to signal to the UFOs yeah. and they feel like they're affecting what they see in some way. And those are really cool. Um, Steve Ward uh, who's actually in the Mothman legacy commented, uh, adding to Joe Turi's question, the Mothman seemed to be a paradox in that it displayed characteristics of flesh and blood mm. apparition and even something mechanical. What, how do you sort all <laughs> just like stifled a belch? Oh, this is, it was good. Um, <laughs> and then I told everyone about it. How do you sort all of those out? Well, I think, I think this is what we were just talking about. Sure. I don't know that you do sort all this. No, out. no. And I mean, he used the precisely right word, which is paradox. Mm-hmm. And you, you kind of hold things together that, that don't go together. The mechanical element is pretty interesting, I think. I don't know what to make of that at all. But It's interesting, too, because it, it kind of goes back to some of the Men in Black right? accounts, which yes. also seem to be mechanical. Mm-hmm. And the sounds that Keel allegedly heard on the other end of the phone. Mm-hmm. I mean, long before there was the dial-up sound. It seems to me like that's what he was partially hearing in the way that he describes that. Um, Walt Wadsworth asked, did you do anything different filming Mothman Legacy from the first Mothman you put Mm up? Um, This is the question that I wound up spending 10 minutes (laughs) on. All the listeners will tune out or they'll they'll hit that little 30-second jump button till I shut up. yeah, we did a lot different. Like, so the biggest thing that we that changed between Mothman and Point Pleasant and uh, the Mothman Legacy is we lost this the digital Bolex D16 camera that we shot uh, the Mothman and Point Pleasant with. And whenever I watch the Mothman and Point Pleasant, it stands out among our films as okay. So it's real raw. I mean, even. That was, we've talked about it before on the show. That's the turning point for me visually for STM. It's probably Boggy Creek Monster, but really for me, the turning point comes with the Mothman of Point Pleasant because I think that's where Zach started sort of directing the look of the movies. Um, and he did with Boggy Creek too, but I think with Boggy Creek, there's 
it's almost too much of a jump. We went from Beast of Whitehall, where everything's handheld, to Boggy Creek Monster, where we were putting things on gimbals and we we're just running around with the gimbal mm-hmm. because we had a gimbal. Yeah. Uh, Mothman to Point Pleasant, we went the opposite direction. There's no gimbal. Uh, there's a couple gimbal shots, but we used it like you would a slider. Um, mm-hmm. And and for we were very conscious of the fact that we wanted the movie locked down and very tight. We were using we shot the entire movie with a digital. Bolex D16, which literally has a Super 16 sensor in it, um, so it's the same sensor size you would have got you would have gotten on like a, a 16 millimeter camera back in the in the 70s or or whatever. Um, it's tiny. It's a really tight uh, sensor. And that movie, the thing that stands out about that movie to me when I watch it today, even though it's rough, is that it has a very unified look, mm-hmm. start to finish. It has a, a it never deviates yeah. from the look. And so that keeps it in like a certain range, mm-hmm. like no yeah. matter what you're shooting. Yeah, because we what we did is we shot seventy or eighty percent of the B-roll in that movie. The location B-roll is shot on that Bolex, mm. and we were shooting. So we not only shot with the digital Bolex, but we also were using um, some of the lenses were were television lenses from mm. the 1970s wow. um, so we were shooting on vintage glass mm-hmm. um, and we got some really interesting a, a really interesting look to the movie like even when I see it today it just stands out as like it looks different from anything we did before and anything we've done since mm-hmm. so what we did with we we wanted that we wanted the same vibe that like claustrophobic kind of vibe but um you can't get it like the, 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 so what we ended up doing is we bought those two black magic pocket cinema cameras last year. Um, those actually do have a very small sensor on them compared to a lot of other present day cameras, uh, modern cameras. I actually did go try to buy a digital Bolex D16, but they're going for usually North of 6,000 now on eBay. Mm. Um, so it just can't do it. Um, there's none available for rental anymore either. Mm. Um, so we, we use, why is that? Do you think it's just there? It, people love the look of it. Okay. So like when it's available, they're buying it because they gotcha. want that look. It's, it's a very specific look. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, uh, well, even the camera shaped like an old, uh, Bolex, like an old Bolex camera. It's got the trigger handle and everything. Yeah. I mean, it's just, you're shooting digitally instead of film. Mm-hmm. Um, and it looks like film is the other thing. Like when I see mm-hmm. that movie, if we had at the time, if I had at the time been able to, I know I was crashing my computer a lot making that movie. I would have put a film grain over that and it would have, I almost guarantee it would have looked like we shot it on film mm-hmm. uh, for real. Um, so we shot everything on the, the black magics and then we bought uh, these, these Soviet um, made in the Ukraine or re, re, repurposed in the Ukraine lenses for the Mothman legacy. And I knew it wasn't going to get the same look, but it would, it would still be kind of getting that vintage, at least a a vintage look to the movie. Um, We tried to shoot a lot in, in the sunlight and at sunset. Uh, Obviously some of the like new river gorge footage was in the middle of a downpour. Mm -hmm. So we got what we got. Um, But we were trying, that was an, an effort to blend the look of the Mothman of Point Pleasant with the the beautiful sort of like painted look of Terror in the Skies. And as much as the <clears throat> Mothman Legacy is a sequel, 
a direct sequel to the Mothman and Point Pleasant. It is a spiritual sequel to Terror in the Skies. And in some ways, it picks up much more thematically from Terror in the Skies than it does from Mothman and Point Pleasant. So you end up with the opening and the bookends of the Mothman legacy being uh, the dark version of the opening closing of terror in the skies, mm. the other end of the spectrum from what happens with terror in the skies. Um, some of the imagery too. Yeah. Is crosses over. I yeah. Think. Like what? We'll stand out. Some of the, um, the way that the flying objects are portrayed. Mm-hmm. I think there's a overlap there. That's, it's not really consciously done, but it, you know, it, sort of the the glimpse of something flying through the trees. The uh, one the one that that came about in the making of the movie literally on the day of was that eyeball sh- the eye shot. Mm-hmm. Was I was like, "Oh, we got to do an eye shot, and then it'll be a direct callback to Terror in the Skies, yeah. but in this one it's like a instead of her looking in awe, it's her first seeing something that terrifies her." Mm-hmm. Um so anyway, we did a lot of things differently. I mean, the, the, there's no animation in this really. There's there's very practical all the all the uh, all the recreations are live action uh with cg elements added into them there are quote-unquote animations but they're they're live action elements blended with cg uh creature effects um they're really fun mm-hmm. too i mean those cool. are I, I really enjoy the recreations and legacy yeah i'm excited for that aspect of it to see how people mm-hmm. respond to it um so yeah, we did a lot differently and the I'll tell you one thing that I would love to do a director's cut of The Mothman and Point Pleasant at some time and get John Parfit to do sound design. Ooh. Cuz if you kind of like think of what he could do mm-hmm. just to, adding another layer to to that movie mm-hmm. cuz at that point we we didn't do any sound effects. There's no sound effects in that movie at all. Um it's weird to think about. Yeah. Well, yeah. that didn't start until I didn't start doing sound effects until Flatwoods. Mm-hmm. And even Flatwoods feels real bare bones. It's Bray where I started like cramming mm-hmm. sound design in there. Yeah. And then shortly after is when John came on with Terry. Can you imagine like the Scarberry experience yeah. with sound. Well, there's something that. uh that's a scene I would actually like to reshoot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like there's scenes in that I would like to entirely reshoot them. Yeah. Um or or like maybe do live action versions mm-hmm. of the, some of the animated sequences. Mm-hmm. Although I'd love the Bob Bosworth animated sequence. It brings that North power. Mm-hmm. Point to life. Yeah. Um, okay. We have more, more questions. Uh, Steve Ward again, Keel said he found large dog, like foot footprints near the North power plant and near the Tad Jones sighting. Keel consulted with Ivan Sanderson and he told Keel that these types of prints keep showing up in paranormal hotspots. This was long before Linda Godfrey brought the Dogman sightings to the public consciousness. Any thoughts as to how these fit in with Mothman? Mm. Well, I just as an from a nerd perspective, I love the idea of Keel and Sanderson corresponding with each other. You know that that old guard sort of first wave of researchers writing letters to each other probably or, or calling each other on the phone. You know, I don't know. I think that it, for one thing, it depends on how large a dog-like track are we talking about. Um, the and it, the it's Tad some, Jones one is huge. Is it? That story, I actually tried to track Tad Jones down when oh. we were making the Mothman of Point Pleasant and found out he had passed away. Mm-hmm. So 
I got all the information I could on when he died and everything. Cause I knew that's not something that's out there. And then I handed all that over to Lauren. I don't know if he mm-hmm. added that to his book or anything, but okay. I was able to find out Tad Jones had died and, and how he died. Yeah. I think it was of a heart attack. And I, I, the reason I, I say that and sort of make a distinction, I suppose is, you know, there's a time when we had a pretty large dog you know, we had a, a Newfoundland five from five years to uh, the time that he passed away. And he made gigantic yeah. tracks. Bobby does too. <laughs> yeah. So um, of all, you know, of many sort of uh, tra- traces of evidence, it seems to me that a large dog print is somewhat, you know, there, it seems like a, in some cases that could be a pretty easy natural explanation, but I guess it all depends on how big are we talking um, and how, you know, in, in what way are the tracks arranged? Are they just a couple tracks or is there a track line or, you know, without knowing those sort of things, it's I haven't, hard to it's comment. funny. I haven't read Mothman prophecies since we made the movie and I can't remember. I know that the Tad Jones stuff really stuck out to me mm-hmm. and I don't know why it was interesting. I think, cause I wasn't necessarily, Steve Ward is connecting that with the Mothman. And I think Keel was too, like, you know, like multiple. I, at the time, I just thought that was such a weird mm-hmm. aspect of that story. And, and, I, and I thought Tad was alive because he was young when he found those tracks. Um, and it turned out he wasn't. But I, I feel like I even talked to like his daughter or something. I, can't, I forget how I found out he had died. I have no answer for that question. No. Yeah. I mean, it's like one of those weird side rabbit trails of which there are so many mm-hmm. um mark cooper what's the most outlandish mothman story you've heard yeah Ooh, I, I i just go with the the lawrence gray thing outlandish in it in a, in the way that it well outlandish yeah that's that yeah that's a different word uh yeah i can't use lawrence gray's lawrence gray's is so interesting because it's not it was so unexpected like when you when you first hear that story, it's contrary to every Mothman story you've heard. Outlandish. I don't know what to even say there. I'm trying to like rack my brain for probably that Mountain Monsters episode mm-hmm. where the guys try to trap Mothman in a giant trap. Probably that. <laughs> that's pretty outlandish. They had him for a second. Yeah, it's pretty outlandish. <laughs> I, I guess for me, the way I would answer that question is the the Linda Scarberry sighting where she sees him on, on the, the rooftop, roof. mm. and I guess I I say that just because of how much of a juxtaposition that is of something entirely strange in a place that seems to be just completely normal, you know, and like the, you just look out your window at the rooftop, and there he is sitting with almost a sad countenance. That's that seems outlandish to me. Well, then I can use Lawrence Gray's. Yeah. Okay. Lawrence Gray's sighting. (laughs) Um, Jeremiah Jeremiah Byron said, what are your thoughts on the Mothman statue? Um, Hmm. Culturally? What are we, how are are we talking about his butt? Is this a a butt joke? (laughs) Well, I mean, I, I, I will take that from a cultural angle. It's, it's outstanding that there's a, a, village or town in the United States that has that type of, of uh, callback to its own history and dubious history. It's not even like a battle occurred here. Mm. It's here's, here's a representation of 
something that happened in the, the mid-60s that um, nobody can really explain. I guess one thing that could be um, brought up about it is, you know, how much of a uh, resemblance does it bear to the thing that was cited? And I, you know, anyone who's read or encountered the story knows probably not much, but that's okay. I mean, that doesn't bother me that it's, because it, the, the thing that people claim to have seen would make for a very weird statue. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, what they did do, you know, was anthropomorphize it. And I think that makes people want to use it in the way that they do now, which is take a picture with the thing, you know, say I was here and I, I made it to Point Pleasant. I mean, one of the coolest selfies I've ever gotten from somebody else's, my mom and dad, that they decided on some trip that they were passing through near close enough that they should take a picture with the statue. And I think it invites that. So I think, you know, whatever criticisms could be lobbied against how did the statue turn out or doesn't look, that's not what people saw. Well, okay. I mean, there, you're probably right, but for what it, the, the civic function, which is to get people to come and see it, I think it's successful. Just to add to that, Point Pleasant has a really rich history uh, and to the point where I was watching a, a Smithsonian documentary on West Virginia history and the first place they start is Point Pleasant hmm. they, with with the uh, with the fort and the Native American history and the rivers and and even that Smithsonian documentary did a brief pause on the Mothman. Hmm. Um, but uh, the point I'm making is like in this town where <clears throat> they have statues of cornstalk and I mean, really famous historical figures mm-hmm. that line that flood wall. And yet the centerpiece of the town, the, the statue that sits in what you would call the town square is the Mothman mm-hmm. is pretty wild. Like yeah. that's a, that's pretty insane for not insane in a bad way. That's, that's pretty crazy though. For, right. For a cryptid or a paranormal something. You know, related and that, to that that's, is, absolutely right and it is yeah it's bizarre that is it's got the pride of place as far as the location do you know offhand is that the same artist who did all of those statues yeah it's the same guy bob roach okay yeah the name because they seem similar yeah they're all the same and he's gone he passed away Mm. but but um his family sets up at the mothman festival every year and sells little miniature versions of the of the mothman uh statue uh, our buddy Les Odell commented, do you feel there is a direct connection between the UFO sightings and Mothman in Point Pleasant? Or is Point Pleasant just one of those window areas where high strangeness just seems to occur? Mm. My gut reaction to that is the latter, the window. I don't know. Because the, the first part of that, it seems to, I don't think there's a cause and effect. Yeah, I don't either. Um now it's very strange, obviously, that this activity is going on at the same time. But I don't, I don't necessarily think there's a link between the two, unless it was part of a larger campaign where somebody's trying to throw as much weird stuff at people as possible mm. to see what they would do. But yeah, I don't. If that, if we're thinking of Mothman in terms of like the occupant of the UFO, I, I don't think that that's that's not how i conceive of it personally yeah and it's like i said too the those sightings were there before the mothman sure. showed up and mm-hmm. after the popularity of the mothman waned the the sightings didn't you know the number of sightings didn't wane mm-hmm. 
Um, so yeah. Having said that, the idea of Point Pleasant as a window area, people talk about going to Point Pleasant and how weird things happen, and I have a strange feeling mm-hmm. <clears throat> when I when I arrive and all this stuff. Um, I can think I've talked about it on the show, but like that is like my I get I I love going there. I, I go down to Tuendui and I go out to the to the far corner where where you're kind of like pointed right at that confluence of the rivers, and that is my peaceful place. Like mm-hmm. that's where I like to go and just sit. Yeah, I don't get that mm-hmm. uh, weird vibe from Point Pleasant. I never have. From that, that was the first time I I remember the first time I went there was to I went to Tuendui, um, and it was 2015. It was the year Minerva came out. I was doing the event by myself and then Brandon drove down on Saturday, but on Friday night I had a horrible, vicious migraine oh. as, as usual. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> I got down there and I went to my hotel and I slept for like three hours and, and I woke up at eight o'clock and I was staying all the way out in Ripley. Oh yeah. Yeah. Like an hour and 10 minutes away right. or whatever. Yeah. And, um, cause all the hotels are booked, everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and I drove, I woke up, it's like eight o'clock at night. It's already getting getting dark, and I it must have been earlier than that. It must have been like seven thirty or something. Because I drove into town, I got there right at sunset. It was dusk. It, the sun was already down, but it was still light, a little bit of light. And I shot the first shots that mm. it, for for the Mothman and Point Pleasant, mm-hmm. and then I just like hung out. Yeah. So I was like, man, I love this place. Right. And like we have really fond memories of like spending time with Tommy there mm-hmm. when I was filming the weird Japanese TV show, and he was three weeks old. And oh. taking him there, you know, yeah. like he went to the Mothman Museum for the first time when he was three weeks old. <laughs> so it's a road warrior in yeah. training. Hopefully. Now, I've never felt weird there, but I will say that the one of the first times, if not the first time we went, we had a Honda Element at the time. And when we got near Point Pleasant, the electronic system on the Honda Element totally reset. Yeah. We lost all our presets on the radio and everything. The car didn't shut down, but something weird electromagnetically happened. Wow. At, at, and then it was, I mean, it, it didn't affect us at all, but it certainly what got your attention as See, you're coming into to Point To that Pleasant. end, we've, that's the thing you always hear is that things are affected. Oh, your batteries are going to... We, we never had that happen until we were filming. Uh, we filmed two interviews for Terror in the skies mm-hmm. in the state theater and our batteries drained on our lights. Um, and actually the one light has never worked right since. Wow. Yeah. Um, my spotlight that we were backlighting, um, uh, Allison's interview with the other mm-hmm. thing that was real kind of strange, probably not as strange now that we know some things about the, the state theater, uh, the flies were everywhere, like all over us. Since then, we've come to find that there's there was at least last year there was raw sewage under yeah, the stage. There's, there's some, so there might be some explanation. Some there. natural causes yeah. there. Yeah. Um. All right. And Celine said, "How would you each react if, due to your research and putting this documentary out there, injured cold came knocking at your door?" You know what? Mm. I, I have never. I know a lot of people are real creeped out by the injured cold thing. Um, and I think that it has more to do with the legend, uh, the, the sort of like mythical version of the, of injured cold than, than what it is that Woody and the family described seeing or encountering. I just don't find injured cold as 
as at least based off of Woody's description as being scary. It's just a sort of a, an Asian looking man with a, a an awkward smile mm-hmm. trying to blend in. Um, like a spaceman, yeah, right. Like yeah. a mid sixties. Yeah, if anything, I th- I'd be pretty jazzed if he showed up at my door. <laughs> Um, yeah, I'd be I'd be surprised. I'd have to say because it seems like whenever I go looking for weird things, I don't find anything. But that's a different scenario, right? Is like he's showing up at your door. So mm-hmm. that part I might feel a little bit weird about. Uh, Justin Snyder, Mothman. It's a separate thing, or do you think it ties into other cryptids such as Dogman and Bigfoot? An interdimensional being. What are the best chances of having an encounter, if any? Well, we've already kind of hit on the interdimensional being thing, so we could probably just what are the what are the chances of having an encounter? I don't I don't think they're good. Mm-mm. Like Mothman doesn't. It's not like Bigfoot where you can go out in a in a wooded area anywhere in the world and and maybe you'll encounter one mm-hmm. or have something unusual. Mothman just seems to come out of nowhere and disappear back into nowhere, and there's nothing you can do mm-hmm. to really create that. Yeah. I don't think. Right. As boring as it sounds, from all the accumulated data, I think your best chance for seeing something weird is to drive somewhere semi-remote in the middle of the night. It really is. That's the, yeah. by far, percentage-wise, that's where how most sightings of anything take place. Mm-hmm. So I, I guess, you know, locate your area in question and drive around there late at night, see what happens. Yeah. Yeah, um, and for all if people go to Point Pleasant and they wander into the TNT area late at night, hoping to having hoping to, hoping to have an encounter. I can tell you, if you're one of those people, be aware that like the TNT area is not safe <laughs> at night. <laughs> yeah, uh, we had I've been in there with off duty police officers, and we still had people trying to rob us. So, Yikes. so it, we uh, when we were filming the Japanese TV show, we had kids uh, jack a trail camera uh, and it just so happened that the cops that were with us were armed and they went and got them mm-hmm. as they were doing it. It was kind of fun. Wow. Drew guns and went in there and scared the <laughs> crap out of them. Um, but it's not, yeah, it's not, I, I would be hesitant to go wandering around in there too mm-hmm. late at night looking for Mothman, unless you've got a decent size group with you. Yeah. Um, I mean, I guess my luck has not been good because, yeah. you know, we've gone to places with people where, yeah would seem to be a high percentage place and tons of them tons of places what what we always end up hearing is wow it's unusually quiet (laughs) (laughs) that's the most common thing uh we i mean it's like uh you know now that it's kind of over i don't want to say this and create some bad juju but Mm. um you know when we were filming i'm not saying nothing could happen but when we were filming bell witch the thing we kept oh you guys are going to experience so many weird things we never i mean just a very smooth sailing shoot uh just the shoot i'm not saying this isn't Mm -hmm. i'm I'm not inviting something to like trash my computer Mm -hmm. um but we we just never experienced that end of things um uh the mothman legacy comes out october 20th tuesday what we want people to do is please go review it on um, iTunes or Amazon, Google Play, it's going to be available on basically every major streaming platform. Uh, even if you bought it on DVD or Blu-ray, you could leave us a review, uh, especially on Amazon. I should probably address the Amazon thing 
on this show since I've also gone on other shows. People have had me on to talk about this now. Mm -hmm. I was on Spooky South Coast specifically to talk about the Amazon thing. So last week we received a cryptic email that stated that five of our titles, our Small Town Monsters titles, had been marked restricted on Amazon and would no longer be posted for free on on, uh, Amazon Prime. The weirdest part of this are the titles. Um, the Mothman of Point Pleasant, Boggy Creek Monster, and Invasion on Chestnut Ridge are three of the three of them. Uh, Beast of Whitehall and Champ are the other two. Um, I immediately responded asking why, obviously, um, because uh, well, they, so they respond, and their response was that the titles were um, not meeting their uh, strict guidelines regarding customer engagement and satisfaction with the product. And so now there's a couple of ways this might've come about. So they're kind of claiming that they're checking our reviews and the reviews aren't good and all this kind of stuff. Their, their views aren't high enough. It's like, if that's the case, they're just straight up lying. Um, mm-hmm. Mothman and Point Pleasant had had a hundred thousand plus views just in the last three weeks and, and, and was going up. Um, because of assumedly the the trailer for Mothman Legacy and the shows I've been doing talking about Mothman mm-hmm. Legacy, um, the reviews for all three of those titles is pretty are pretty good. I would say Mothman and Point Pleasant is actually one of our more positive. It's like approach. It's three point eight stars, I think, with three hundred and somewhere. It's got a ton of reviews. Mm-hmm. For comparison, Eyes of the Mothman, which this isn't me banging on, uh, on that movie or anything. I'm just using it for comparison or even something like Bridgewater Triangle. Both of those movies are on on Amazon Prime. Both of them have far less reviews than the Mothman of Point Pleasant. Uh, and just from going back and forth and knowing what I know about the views on both of those titles, they're far under ours, but they're still allowed to remain on Prime. Someone posited posited mm-hmm. the idea that uh, a competition or someone may have organized enough people to complain to Amazon to get the title stricken. Uh, that is probably the most likely scenario here. The downside to this is there's nothing I can do. They s- expressly state in the email they sent me, you cannot appeal this. It's done. Uh, so I did appeal. I mean, I sent you know an email back. I said, nothing you said is true. Uh, these are our stats. We're well aware of what, you know, and they just never even responded. So we have feelers out to contacts at Amazon elsewhere in Amazon, but you're dealing with a trillion dollar company. The departments aren't in touch with each other. We don't even know myself and some other filmmakers who've been dealing with this for years. Don't even know if the people we're talking to are in America. Like we, we have no idea, mm-hmm. you know, where, the, where, these people are located. Anyway, the short of this is uh, if you're hoping to watch Mothman of Point Pleasant, Boggy Creek Monster, Invasion on Chestnut Ridge, On the Trail of Champ, or Beast of Whitehall, you have to buy them from here on out. There's no more freebies on those. They're no longer listed free on Amazon, and they will no longer ever, as far as I can tell, be mm-hmm. free on Amazon Prime. Um, I mean, we've talked about it on the show before. The, the takeaway here is if you like small town monsters movies watching them on prime does very little for us um and i totally get everyone's everyone's in the same boat when it comes to financial situations and all that kind of stuff um so if you're if that's the way if the only way you can watch them 
totally understand. Just make sure you're leaving reviews and ratings and all that stuff. Cause I think that's on a platform like Amazon. It's probably the best way to support STM stuff. And the next best way is to actually buy the stuff. Um, there's a lot of people who were, are going to be unable to find the movie that precedes Mothman legacy right before Mothman legacy comes out now because of this. So it's kind of a hit. Um, but we can't do anything about it because again, they're a multi-trillion dollar company. Yeah. Couldn't care less about us. Um, it, it will, we'll figure it out eventually. I mean, the, the fact is like if there's someone legitimately organizing enough people to complain, I'm going to hear about it. It's not going to go unnoticed. We're going to find, people can't in the paranormal world people can't keep a secret for for (laughs) two hours so yeah we'll find out about it if that's the case um and then we're going to find you yeah uh but anyway the the, just the movies one other thing though those three of those titles are available free on 2b tv so if like your only way of watching our stuff is free on on line go watch uh mothman boggy and evasion on 2b tv uh, and we get a tiny fraction of that from our horrific distribution deal. Not the new one, the first one. Um, <laughs> all right. Uh, thanks for listening to the show. Thanks for listening to me whine here at the end. Uh, more more than anything, this was just letting you guys know those titles aren't available mm-hmm. anymore. Uh, they, they're, they're still available to rent or purchase on Amazon. You just can't watch them free. Uh, okay. If you want to send us a letter, monsteropolismail at gmail.com. Um, we're on social media, on all the social medias. And uh, you can support the show by liking and sharing episodes and uh, leaving a rating and review on iTunes. So that's it. See you later. Monsteropolis is proudly presented on Wadsworth Community Radio 97.1 FM or streaming live at wadsworthcommunityradio.com. It is proudly underwritten by Thurber's Jewelers on the Square in downtown Wadsworth.